from the Parent Nation studios, it's Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents, shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. Yeah, well, I got a news flash for you, folks. The problem with kids is parents. Excuse me, Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm not leaning in anymore. I'm sick of spilling my martini. (laughs) I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now, here's your host, Tara Kennedy Clive. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy. (laughs) Yesterday was a holiday, Labor Day holiday. And hey, Kelly, did you know that Labor Day actually originated in Canada? No, I did not. Mm -hmm. We stole it from Canada. Just another thing. Yeah, another thing that we took from Canada. Um, Yeah, because back in the 18-somethings, it started. We took it from Canada in the first Labor Day was in New York. And um, so, yeah, we took it from them because it was a great idea. And (laughs) (laughs) we we wanted to celebrate the workforce. And uh, so all of that. So I I think it's so funny that people put up, um, people put up their American flags and all that stuff on Labor Day. And they're all like, you know, it's, it's, thank a union. I think we should thank Canada. I think we should hang. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should hang Canadian flags and drink more beer on Labor Day. I don't think we could do that, though, because we already consume a shitload of beer on Labor Day. But Mm -hmm. anyway, it's yeah. So, um, oh, Canada. Isn't that cool? (laughs) You know, did you did you take that Facebook test where it tells you where you're from? No. Did you know that I'm nearly 100% Canadian? Really? I'm not Canadian. Oh, my gosh. I'm American. (laughs) I know. I think it has mostly to do with my snarky sense of humor and my alcohol consumption. Oh. Isn't that that, uh, Ireland? And apparently Canadian. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So that was kind of fun. I love those tests. And, you know, I can't stand the people who come on and say, do you know that every time you're taking those tests, you're giving them all kinds of information about yourself? Guess what, folks? They have all they. <laughs> yep. My my husband can look up anything he wants to know about anybody and does it kind of like as a parlor trick at parties. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. But. Yeah, seriously, if you enjoy taking the quizzes, just take them. You're not telling them anything they don't already know, because guess what? They have access to your text messages. Did you see this? Yeah, with the messaging on your phone. Yeah, and everybody's like, oh, it's Facebook Messenger. Don't sign up for it. It's any app that you give permission to has access to your anything that happens on that phone. Right. It's true. So they have access to your videos, your pictures, your text messages. I took pictures and I took pictures on my phone. And the next thing I know, they showed up animated on a different website that I'm a member of. 
And it was like, you can animate your other photos too. And I'm like, hold up, Jack, how'd you get that one? Wow. And what if you start animating those pictures that I don't want people to see? Right. Right? I'm not saying, I'm not going to take it any further than that. But all <laughs> I'm saying is, that was creepy. And it just goes to show you that once in your phone, always in your phone. This is why we tell our kids, I'm going to stalk you on any device that I buy you. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I know the thing went out was a hoax. I, I put it up on Parent Nation, and then my husband and I are researchers. So we don't like to just read one version of a story of something. We like to read several of them on several different news outlets because every news outlet has their own way of spinning things. You know, like some right. news outlets, it's completely the president's fault. Right. I'm not going to say any names. But anyway, um, so I like to read several different versions of things. And in the process of doing that, my husband comes up to me and he goes, you know that article that you posted on Parent Nation is a hoax, right? And I'm like, no, no, it's not. This is really something that happens. I looked it up. And he said, yes, but that particular story is a hoax. There's a story circulating on Facebook right now about a 15-year-old kid who got 25 years to life in prison for this thing that's called swatting. And it's when live streaming gamers um, will they'll get pissed off at the person who continually kills them or destroys their property or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what they'll do is they'll call in a police activity from that enemy person's IP address, which is their physical home address, uh. they'll, right? They'll call in as if they're that person and it'll be like a hostage situation or something major that the police actually will send their local SWAT team to that person's house. And then the person who called it in will watch as the person is being invaded by the police live stream video during the gaming process. So the story goes that this kid did this to a friend or to an enemy online who had been continually killing his character. And in the process of the SWAT team going to this guy's house, they shot and critically wounded his father. And so this kid was the first person in history to get 25 years to life in a federal prison for this activity. Turns out the, ac the action of swatting is not fake. That's really going on. But the article, the story was kind of like one of those onion articles. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't true. It was meant to scare people, which it did. But it got me thinking. And although the article that I posted turned out to be a hoax, the message that I posted wasn't. And I wish I would have left it up because honest to God, Parent Nation, if you don't know what swatting is, if you don't know what live streaming is, if you don't know what an IP address is, you need to be stalking your children like a predator when they're online. You need to put yourself in the shoes of someone who would do you harm and stalk your children as that person and find out the information, the personal private information that your kids are putting out there to the world about you and your family. That means taking their phone and looking at their photos and their videos and their chats and their tweets and their emails and who they're connected to online and their video gaming and what they're playing and the things that they're writing and saying to people while they're playing. This is all important stuff. And we don't think it is, but it is. And we need to pay more attention to it. So speaking of paying attention to our kids, 
in the news, Kelly. <laughs> the news, the news. Right, the in the news, news in the news. <laughs> so, okay, there's a couple idiots in the news right now that I want to call out because they're my favorite. They make life entertaining. <laughs> you got to love it. But this one's not an idiot. He's just misguided. The five-year-old kindergartner from Pittsburgh who took the loaded pistol to the first day of school mm-hmm. in his backpack. Now, here's the thing. He says that he did it because he didn't want his three-year-old sibling to get the gun while he was gone. Why is this a concern, sweetie? Is this a normal occurrence in your house that the three-year-old is searching for mommy's pistol? Mm-hmm. Right? And why are we not... So, so the five-year-old got nine days out of school suspension and they're threatening expelling him. Expelling him the first day of kindergarten is not going to change his ways if he's being exposed to these things at home. Right. Right? <clears throat> now, here's the thing. This is where we get into tricky situations with consequences and, and discipline like this in the schools. Because if he, if this kid were a little bit older, a little more experienced, maybe in middle school or, you know, well, let's, let's say middle school, I could see the expulsion, but where, where are they going to go? I mean, they need to be educated. So what's the alternative? Are we going to homeschool them? No. Right. You're, you're not teaching a child a lesson by kicking them out of school. So this is where that punishment doesn't work. I understand that you want to separate them from the student body because you, you see them as a potential threat. But clearly this five-year-old is not a potential threat. He's really not. He's not coming into school threatening to hurt people. He's coming into school to protect his sibling with this gun. So mom is the problem. So I'm thinking that the punishment should be more like gun safety education for the whole family. You know, maybe yeah. the kid has to do maybe the kid has to do a report and the family has to present it along with a police officer and, you know, and somebody else in the school. And why why we don't do things like this, why we keep our guns locked up. I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I guess I have a couple of ideas what the answers are. But I understand why the school now has to stick by the policy that they've set, because of course you have to do that or else your policies have no integrity and no one's going to listen to you. But then again, it, it, it makes no sense to me, you know, because now then on the other in, in another story in the news, you have a, a cheer team, which is like in in a lot of these southern schools, their cheer teams are second only to their football teams. Right. So this cheer team has this traditional sleepover in the school, which personally I think is stupid. I, I think those things are ridiculous. But the, the cheer team has a sleepover in the school. And as a prank, one of the assistant coaches brings cap guns in and starts firing them at the girls to scare the crap out of them. Well, now you got a bunch of girls who are in therapy. <laughs> yeah. And the cheer team and the coach or the cheer team captain and not the captain, the assistant coach and the coach were both fired because there is a zero tolerance policy for guns in the school. And 
I don't think we understand the environment that we're creating by fighting zero tolerance for guns in schools. There's a group of people out there who say um, zero tolerance for guns, you know, gun-free zones in schools are not making schools any safer. Okay, but you know what they are doing? They are making it easier to pick out the people who shouldn't be there. So if the only people that are allowed to have guns on school grounds are the security and someone walks up with a gun, you know they're a bad guy. So why do we fight this? Like it, like this, the, the bonehead Clive and Bundy's son, Ryan Bundy. You know Clive and Bundy, right? Yes, yes, the, yes. The Texas the rancher. Vegas, right. Yeah. He's so, in Vegas. He's in Vegas? I well, it, okay. his son is in Texas. Okay. So his son, Ryan, who... Um, procreated five times now. Thanks to the Lord, right? Right. Um, right. So this, this douchebag um, pulls his kids out of school because the school won't let them take knives to school. Because, <laughs> because a knife isn't a weapon, Kelly. It's a tool. It's right. a tool that every single person should be allowed to use whenever they want. You know, who knows when you're going to have to cut up a desk. <laughs> or whittle a pencil, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> so so his claim is the administration is clearly um, prejudiced against him because of who he is, and so they won't let his daughter bring a knife to school, which she clearly needs. So he pulls all five of his kids out of school because these are the kind of kids that we want homeschooled mm-hmm. by this guy and that family. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Marka, you're making some mistakes. I'm just saying. I think, you know, we can call a spoon a weapon now, you know, but we can't call a knife a weapon. This is the guy. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's not I used think to the, I think the dad's a tool. He is. He's such a tool. And and here's the thing. Do you want to know why kids are bringing weapons to school? Because of the idiot bus driver in Ohio who made the kids sit in the hot bus mm-hmm. with the windows up until their brains melted. That's what he Ugh. told them. The kids yeah. were being naughty on the bus. So this bus driver was going to teach them a lesson, pulls over in the blaring hot sun, 90 degree day, tells them to put their windows up. And they were going to sit there until their brains melted. Now, here's the deal. (laughs) Try that with one kid in a car in a parking lot, and your ass would be in jail as a parent. But this guy is a bus driver. These kids are coming home with headaches and nausea and all kinds of other stuff. What is going on? I think adults are losing their minds. They are. I've I've got one for you. Okay. This is my daughter's bus, and it was two years ago when she was in seventh grade, and one of the boys in the back flipped off a driver or something. Well, the driver gets the bus driver to pull over, and the bus driver allows the driver of this other car to get on the bus and yell at the kid. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Okay, dumbass, have you ever heard of road rage? Yeah. What if you that guy had a gun? You don't just let somebody on the bus. No. 
Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That is ridiculous. I, parents are, lo- adults are losing their minds. And do you know why? Because we don't know what to do. Because everything that we do gets us in trouble or gets us judged. So we have no idea what to do. So we just freak out. And we, we do whatever comes to mind. And we think, screw it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get yeah. in trouble no matter what. You know? If I let the kids flip off the driver and the driver calls the school... Now I'm going to get in trouble anyway. You know, nobody else is teaching these kids any lessons. Nobody else is telling these kids to behave themselves. So why not let this guy do it? You know, it's, uh, you know, we can't call kids. We can't call kids names. We can't call them bullies. We can't call them mean girls. We can't call them, uh, anything. We can't call them anything because it's going to, we can't call them, um, bossy, she's a bossy girl right we can't call them names but we can't do anything to stop them from being ridiculous either and if they are being ridiculous then we defend them i it's insane so we have two dads it's dad day yes it's dad Dad, Dad day so we have two dads on that well, Doctor Degarmo, he's a foster parent. He has like a thousand kids, a couple that are his own, and a bunch that he's that he's adopted. And he is like, I can't wait to talk to him and find out how he handles this stuff um, as a foster parent because you've got to have a huge heart and a ton of patience to be able to do what he does. So I can't wait to talk to him and find out his take on this stuff. And we have Hogan Hilling, who is um, oh, the author of Dad's Behaving Dadly, and I can't wait to talk to him too. So we're uh, when it comes to when it comes to doing things right as parents. I think that we don't give dads enough credit, which is why we do Dad Day. So I'm really excited to talk to these two dads and find out what they're doing. And I want to find out what they think about this new date rape uh, nail polish. Oh, yeah. Right? Because some people are saying it's giving that women should be more responsible for not being drugged. And we shouldn't need products like that. Have you seen these things? I have. I saw it advertised. I thought it was pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool, too. And there's glasses out there now that that turn different stripes like a pregnancy test if there's a date rape drug in your drink. So we're going to find out what the dads think about those things and parenting and all that and more when we come back. Bill's in this freaking studio, which is why Tara's taking a cocktail break and we're taking care of business with a word from these sponsors. Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The WooHoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world from your work to your relationships, lifestyle, to legacy. Host Ann Phyllis is a spiritual analyst, fire starter, energy alchemist, and soul truth clairvoyant. Using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature soul sense system, Ann offers weekly wisdom for tuning in, letting go, unlocking, and unblocking. If you've been walking through life with excess baggage, a heavy heart, a feeling of disconnection from your inner life, consider Anne your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships, life, purpose, work, and spiritual consciousness. 
every week on Spark Your Soul Radio and takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense. There, she helps translate your energy, essence, and soul truth knowing into positive action and change. From this space of personal awakening and transformation, you're able to reignite your spirit, spark your soul, and live in alignment with your vision and values. Ready to spark your soul? Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player. Got a question for Anne? Want to be a guest on her show? Visit sparkyoursoul.me and listen to Anne every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better, forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins Presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have an awesome uh, Dad Day lineup for you today. I love Dad Day. <laughs> it's so fun. Um, so our first guest is Dr. DeGarmo, and he is the author of a book called um, Fostering Love. And I'm really excited about it because it, he has so much experience from so many different um ages and stages, and he has so much love for the kids that he cares for. So um, he's also the host of a radio show called Foster Talk with Dr. John. So he does a lot to help people who are fostering, getting into this world of fostering, too. So I'm really excited to talk to him. And Dr. John, are you there? Yes, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. You know, I, I would love to know what got you into fostering kids, because my husband and I now that our children are older, we often miss having a younger kid in the house, and we often think about the good that we could do by fostering another child. But that's that's a huge commitment and leap, and, you, I mean, you don't always know, right? So how how did you get involved in this whole thing? Well, thank you for asking. There's a, there's a number of ways you can get involved. To begin with, you can contact your local child welfare agency in your town. Perhaps it's through the government or perhaps there may be a private organization in your town. Perhaps it's through a religious organization. There's many different ways that you can become a foster parent, and it's, it depends upon the state you live in. For my wife and I, it was a process that we did a lot of prayer about, a lot of talk about, a lot of discussion about, and a lot of research about. And then we, after all that, and then we decided that we were both on board because you both have to be on board if you're going to be a foster parent family. 
um, because it's going to take a lot from both of you. And so we did all that, and then we contacted our local agency, and then we began our training, which took us about six months. And, and the training um, helped to prepare us for our first foster child. It didn't prepare us all the way, but it, it helped to. And then um, so roughly after our first year, our first six months of training, we had a, a child placed in our home a few months after that. Wow. But what inspired you to do it, though? Like, what made you want to take this this on? Mm, that's a great question. My Our first child died of a disease called anencephaly, or some known as anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain, the skull, the scalp never truly formed. So mm-hmm. my wife had our first child, and, and she was in labor for 92 hours, and when the child hit oxygen, the child died. And it was something I was so not prepared for. So I really... Um, I was not prepared for it. My wife, my wife grieved in a healthy fashion. I did not. It took me a couple of years to, to accept that loss. And then we, we, at the time we were living in Australia, where my wife is from, we moved back to America, and I began teaching in a in a rural school in in the south in Georgia. And I was watching these children come to my classroom, um, children who had behavior problems, children who had uh, learning disabilities, and children who obviously were neglected and abused, and I asked myself, why were they acting this way? And then I met some of their parents, and I realized, aha, this is why they're neglected, this is why they're abused. So I went home to my wife and said, listen, we lost our first child. How can we help other children? How can we help other children in need? And that's what led me to foster parenting. Wow. That's amazing. So, I mean, were you actually in a situation where you were – participating in getting these children out of the abusive homes that you were that you were seeing no you know um at that time at that point when we first began foster parenting we already had three other children of our own we had three healthy children by that point so our first foster child was placed into our home actually there were two uh one was four years old and one was six months old um and they had been uh they were there for neglect and abandonment and the six-month-old was a crack baby, which would mean she was addicted to crack due to her mother's pregnancy. So she was going through some severe withdrawal symptoms when she arrived in her home. And those withdrawal symptoms for a crack baby are they just, they just pretty much scream 24 hours until the drugs wean out of their body. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, like, colic was bad, right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, colic is, uh, I'll take colic any day of the week. Right? We just, oh my gosh. Well, you're amazing. So when you say that your wife grieved in a healthy fashion, but you carried it for years, that doesn't mean that you didn't proceed with growing your family for several years. You just, as your family was growing, you held on to that loss. I was in, you know, that so-called dark place. I rejected my, uh, I was I rejected my Christian faith for a while. Um, I just became immersed in my own work. Um, and uh, I was not, uh, I was just not in a good place. So when my first, when my second child came along, my first healthy one, um, that helped me to, to grieve and then um, finding my faith again and really helping children in need really helped me understand, okay, I've lost a child, but I can help other children out there. Wow. That's amazing of you. I, it, that has got to be that's got to be one of the hardest things to do is to, you know, try to carry on with life while you're trying to father, still having that, that loss, feeling that sense of loss. So, you know, I can't even imagine what you were going through, but as a result of this, you mentioned that 
when you decided to foster other children, you had to go through classes. Were they like parenting classes? They were kind of like parenting classes. There are more classes like this is how you prepare for a foster child. These are some of the traumas that children will go through in your home. This is how you work with the traumas. This is how you work with their birth parents um, during visitations. This is how you work with the caseworkers. So that type of trauma. You have to understand that when a foster child comes to our home, and I've had roughly 47 children come to my home in 12 years, when they come wow. to our homes, they are taken from everything that they know. They're taken from their mother and their father, they're from their siblings, from their pets and their stuffed animals, from their house, their home, their neighbors, their friends and families, their school, everything they're taken from, and they're thrust into a strange home, our home, strange family, my family, without any explanation and without any notice. So it's a very, very traumatic time for these children, and they don't want to be in our house because we're strangers. They want to go back to mom and dad. Even if mom and dad have abused them terribly, they always want to go back to their norm, to sure. what they think is love. So oftentimes they will reject what we offer the children. Um, so we try, so the, the classes try to help prepare us for that. So it's more like a social worker training than it is a parenting training. Right, right, yes. It's kind of amazing to me because I can't help but think that if we had more parenting training, we wouldn't need as much foster parent training. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely oh. very true. I just, I just recently had um, 11 children in my home. I have three biological, three adoptive, three children adopted from foster care, and then um, five foster children. And, you know, uh, uh, it's a cycle so many times with foster kids. They... It's a generational cycle because they're not taught the parenting skills, so they will pass. They'll they'll pass the lack of those skills on to their next generation. It's very sad. It is. It's hor. It's horrific. And we actually, as much as the world is becoming more aware, it's also becoming um, more acutely aware of the dangers that are happening within the homes. And uh, people will call it judgment. But the fact of the matter is it's a reality of what we're seeing and what we're aware of now. We're not judging people for making mistakes. We're calling out horrific atrocities against children. And we really, there's, there's a real need. There's more of a need for foster parents than ever. But I also, I also would love to believe that with proper training, the parents that have these kids, some of them could simply do better. Do you believe and that's that? What the, that's so very true, and that's what the parents go through. When, when the child's taken from their home, they go through, the, the biological parents have to go through a number of steps in order to have their children reunified with them. They have to have proof of um, employment. They have to have transportation. They have to have a home. But more importantly, they have to go through parenting classes. Um, but you're still very true when you say we don't judge the parents. As foster parents, what we try to do is we try to work with those biological parents um, and try to help them um, because the end goal is to have reunification, is to have the child go back to their home. But do sadly, you, that doesn't happen all the time. Right. And, you know, it's so scary, though, because when you hear the stories about some of the things that happen to these kids, I mean, obviously the media picks the worst of the worst because they want to have the ratings. But when we hear some of the stories that are happening, I mean, there's a local family that just had all four of their children taken away from them because they were living in squalor. It, right. They weren't abusing the children physically. They were just living in deplorable conditions and they couldn't they couldn't find their way out. So 
people are saying don't ever, ever, ever give those kids back to those parents. But I don't think they're looking at the reality for the children in those situations, because to your earlier point, it may seem disgusting and horrible and unbelievable to us. But to that child, it's all they know. Right. So, you know, if they're not being abused physically, they just need they just need to learn. They need to learn how to do better. Why wouldn't we want to reunify them? I, some of that stuff just really makes me crazy. <laughs> but you're, what, what are you seeing? Because when we used to hear about foster, fostering children, it was because they were in an orphanage. Like the parents didn't want them. The parents were dead. Now we're, we're seeing children taken out of homes, like the example I just gave, and put into foster care. But then we're hearing horrible stories about foster care, too. So how can, what are the dangers? Like, what is going on in the foster care system today? Well, there's a number of things. You know, one bad apple spoils a whole barrel. And that's so true in foster parenting as well. You know, one bad foster parent can ruin that image for for all foster parents, and that's one of the things that I try to do. I, I, I have a, I've dedicated my life to foster parenting, to foster children, and what I do is I go around speaking across the country to foster parents and caseworkers, but I also go speaking to uh, churches and other organizations because I want the general public to understand what foster care is all about. Be- before I was a foster parent, I really had no conception of what foster care was. I, you know, I, I watched the media and listened to the news, um, but that paints such a false image so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing I do. You know, you mentioned about the squalor. We just had five children in our home from, from a group of uh, uh, five siblings, and they came from a home that had no electricity, no running water, no plumbing, no heat, no air, and you could not see the floor in the home because there was so much feces in the home. Okay. When the children came to our home, they only had the clothes on their back stapled together, and we had to burn those clothes before they came in our house because they were... They, they were contaminated by feces as well. So sometimes those are the conditions that children are coming coming from. It's obscene. It's so sad. And you just want to, you want to wrap them up and, and take care of them and make them happy, but you don't realize that they're scared to death. You know, what we try to give our foster children, they need the stability, of course, and they need security, of course. But what my wife and I try to do, and I talk about this in my book, Fostering Love, is we try to give them unconditional love. We try to give them um, unconditional love, loving them despite all they've come through. And we want to show them that um, they are important and they are cared for and they are loved. Sometimes those children will reject that. Sometimes they will um, snatch it up. Sometimes they don't know how to to mm-hmm. truly uh, appreciate it. And that's, that's sad as well. But that's what the kids need the most. They need a family that's going to love them despite everything and not harm them, just to simply protect them. And we hear so much about people getting into the foster care world simply to make money. I don't believe that that's the norm. I believe no. that people, right? I believe that people get into foster parenting because they truly want to help and they love kids and want to give them a new start. Well, if somebody's doing it for the money, I, I don't know how to do it. I really don't know how they're doing it. Uh, to be sure, foster parents do receive a small stipend. It's a daily amount, but that amount, that amount, um, comes to to basically nothing you know it helps to support the, the clothes and food but the, the, there is a false assumption that it's being done for money and that is that's not true i can't see how it's done no i can't either i work with a lot of foster parents and i know what they go through financially right. i can tell you right. that that's not the case 
Dr. John, I appreciate you being here. This was a, it's such an enlightening interview, and I really love bringing new concepts that we don't normally talk about in Parent Nation, and this is certainly one of them. So I definitely want everybody to take a look at your book. And, um, and you, do you have a website where people can find your I do. Your Thank you for asking. If mm-hmm. you just Google Dr. John DeGarmo Foster Care, uh, you'll come up there. You'll, you'll find it. Uh, you'll find a link to that and to all the books I've written um, and to my weekly training webinars and, and videos, et cetera. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. And DeGarmo spelled very simply D as in David, E, G as in Gary, A, R, M as in Mary, O. Oh, great. So and the, the book that, you, that we were talking about today was called uh, Fostering Love, but you have, you have a, a children's book also called A Different Home. That's is right, that, yes. Is that for, that's specifically for children, right? It's for any, it's for both the foster child and the foster parent. As I mentioned earlier, when the children come to our home, they, they, uh, they're filled with trauma. So they ask questions like, how long am I here? And I, and I can answer that. I say, I don't know. When will I see mommy next? I don't know. When will I go home? I don't know. So these children, they come to my home and they cry themselves to sleep. And it's, it's so very sad. So, and I wanted to help these children. I wanted to help them since I didn't have the answers for them. So this book is written in the, in the uh, words and the viewpoint of a seven-year-old girl. She has all those questions. And her foster mm-hmm. parents try to help her with, with those questions. And by the end of the book, she realizes, okay, I'm in a different home. It's a different family, but I'm going to be okay. So it's a book oh that foster gosh. parents and caseworkers can sit down and read the child to help understand what they're going through. Thank you so much, Dr. John. I appreciate what you're bringing, and I look forward to talking to you again when we come back. Oh, my back pleasure. Thank break, you for the opportunity. Sure thing. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Hogan Hilling from Dad's Behaving Dadly. And we'll be right back with more Parenting with a Twist. Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The WooHoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world. From your work to your relationships, lifestyle to legacy. Host Ann Phyllis is a spiritual analyst, fire starter, energy alchemist, and soul truth clairvoyant. Using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature Soul Sense system, Anne offers weekly wisdom for tuning in, letting go, unlocking, and unblocking. If you've been walking through life with excess baggage, a heavy heart, a feeling of disconnection from your inner life, consider Anne your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships, life, purpose, work, and spiritual consciousness. Every week on Spark Your Soul Radio, Anne takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense. There, she helps translate your energy, essence, and soul truth knowing into positive action and change. From this space of personal awakening and transformation, you're able to reignite your spirit, spark your soul, and live in alignment with your vision and values. Ready to spark your soul? Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player. Got a question for Anne? Want to be a guest on her show? Visit SparkYourSoul.me and listen to Anne every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. 
Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? (laughs) It's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now... Back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am really excited to be joined by Hogan Hilling, who is one of the who is the author of several parenting books. But the one that he sent to me is Dad's Behaving Dadly. And it's 67 Truths, Tears and Triumphs of Modern Fatherhood. So I'm really excited to talk to him because I was going through and I have some questions about some of these chapters and I want to talk about them. So, <laughs> so Hogan, are you here? Oh, I'm here. Thanks. And I'm feeling so dadly today. And thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. It's dad day. We love dads. <laughs> well, I know you guys do. I really appreciate your support of uh, fatherhood. It's, it's uh, wonderful to know that uh, you appreciate what men do for their families. We do. We do. And we hope that more people get into the groove of that because, you know, I'm all about supporting powerful single moms. And yet I don't think that should include or it should exclude powerful single dads because kids need them, too. Yes, of course they do. They need both. They need both parents, regardless of the family dynamics. True story. True story. So here's the thing. I was reading through your book and uh I love these stories. Some of them choke me up. Some of them make me laugh, you know, as a good book should. And it's it it really kind of has a chicken soup for the soul kind of vibe, you know. Yes, it does, that. and uh, that's kind of how I came up with the uh, with the idea. I figured that uh, even though I wrote other parenting books, I figured I, I thought that uh, giving dads an opportunity and a voice for them to tell their story would have more of an impact than uh, the book sales and the. Um, interest in in the book has definitely uh, proven that yeah it's and you know the other thing that i love about it is um as a parent we don't always have extended periods of time to sit down and just leisurely read <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love the, the <laughs> so this is one that um i can actually take into the bathroom with me when i'm hiding from my children and read a story <laughs> or two and feel better uh-huh. For why I'm in there, because you know it's okay to hide. Well, that's, that's another reason why we, we we formatted the book the way it's more. You know, we we live in kind of a soundbite world, and it is tough to find time to read. And these stories are short, sweet, to the point, and, and very compelling. They really are. It's you know it's funny because we had a Dad Day guest on recently, and he he said something to the effect of we don't really start parenting our children until they're about 18 years old. And we took a lot of <laughs> flack for putting that quote out there. But one uh-huh. of your stories that's in the book, the one that's the beyond autopilot, 
really yeah. kind of sent that message home for me. I, it's about a dad who was, he and his wife were not dramatic people by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. And he finds himself being the stay-at-home dad, taking care of the kid. And he was really excited that when he had to deal with the crisis, it was an automatic pilot kind of deal. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was easy to deal with things when the kids were little. And then his children grew to an age where he would, could no longer be on autopilot. And now he had to start being creative. And, yeah. you know, and I think that is what our other dad was trying to say. It's not that we don't care about our kids until they're 18. It's just well, I that think what I found out, my, my, kid, my, yeah, my kids are older now, and what I found out is the years go by so fast. And if you don't have that emotional connection, um, you just kind of go through the motions. And by the time they're 18, um, the time is flown by so fast that you're trying to play catch-up. <laughs> and it's right. too late. They're already walking out the door. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. I'm I'm feeling that so much right now, honestly. My my oldest is 15, just started his sophomore year of high school, and I'm really starting to feel the impact now. It's uh, you'll be driving in 6 months. You'll be graduating in 2 years. Like those kind of things. It's it's the it's the whole shit just got real sy- syndrome, you know? It's mm-hmm. You really have to start thinking about these things. And so I, I just love that the stories in your book put things into a perspective that we can really empathize and it makes us all feel normal. Well, it's a, it's a credit to the dads, actually. You think about this. They really dispel this whole image that we don't know how to share our feelings and that we're, we, we're not emotionally invested. And as you read these stories, you find out that dads are emotionally invested and I kind of came up with the idea because I'm tired of the constant negative image and bad rap that dads continue to receive. And uh, I based this on the fact that for 25 years I spent with other dads, I discovered that the responsible involved dads far outnumber the irresponsible and bumbling inept dads that are portrayed by the media, Hollywood, and our culture. Mm-hmm. And the title came as a result. I got to give part of the credit to the Orange County Register. They had written an article about me and the dads clubs I started back in the 1990s. And the title of the article was Men Behaving Dadly. And all I did was replace the word dad, uh, men with dads. And it just, I love that. It just took off. Yeah. And it's so it's such a testament to what you just said, that the first thing most people will read is dads behaving badly. Uh, yes, you know, and I, it's kind of a Freudian slip. I think part of that is how much our culture has been indoctrinated with the fact that uh, when men grow up to be husbands and then all of a sudden they become dads, that uh, they they are they don't have the natural instincts that a mom does, and that they're going to be inept and bubbling uh, over their uh, bubbling idiots, and that they have to be trained to be dads when they have they have instincts just like moms do. Sure, they do. Of course they do. And thank you for saying that, because that's something that we forget so much. I hear so many of my young friends and clients saying, I have to train them. You know, we have mm-hmm. to train them to be a dad or, oh, no, I can't leave the baby alone with, with his dad yet. He doesn't know how to do this, that, or the other thing. Oh, bull crap. Yes, they do. Well, that's what's that, well. That's what's so wonderful about the stay-at-home dad community is um, I was an at-home dad for 20 years, and my kids are still breathing. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you know we're capable of 
uh, caring and nurturing um, in a different way. Um, and we also bring value to the table. And I think our culture has overlooked it. And with programs like yours, we're bringing this topic to the table and starting to realize that we've been marginalizing men as fathers for so many centuries in the same way we marginalized women when they were trying to get into corporate America. And look how much they've done to change the mindset and change the rules of the game and, and the corporate world. And now it's time for us to um, uh, copy off of that and start changing the rules in the world of parenting and recognizing that men are the other men are part of this equation that they want to be part of the parenting process. But we've done so much to discourage their involvement. It's time that we start focusing on embracing who they are and how they parent differently and encourage uh, more organizations to be um, more supportive of dads. Hogan, I love that so much. You know, here we go. We, we're talking about the equality movement. We should stop. We should stop focusing on it just being a women's movement and making everything a woman's world. I'm a woman, so I get it. You know, yes, there are certain things that I am not able to do as well as a man, and I admit that. But just because my husband doesn't parent the same as me doesn't mean that he doesn't parent as well as me. So right. if we're and, going and, to and, say and, that... And if you, read the book, if you read the book, you can find out there that we, we do have some similar nurturing skills, and we do, but we also do things differently because we're wired differently, and we're, we're men. We're not women. And, um, you know, what's really important about this book to know, too, that it's a collection of stories, um, as I mentioned, but from all types of dads with different family dynamics, income level, and ethnic backgrounds. And the book includes stories from working at home, divorced dads, stepdads, single dads, and dads of children with special needs. And again, it's a credit to these dads to just open up despite um, their family dynamics. And the whole point of this book is to say that um, uh, this is about all dads. It's not just about working or at-home dads. We really were able to um, collect stories from uh, a diverse group of dads. And uh, we were very, very fortunate to get um, a collection that we could fit into the outline that we put into the book. So you break it, you actually break your do your book down into different sections that you, like you just mentioned. So uh, that's correct. Yeah. Right. So somebody, you, if you have a special needs child and you think that this book can't relate to you, that's absolutely not true because there's a section in there about you. And well, it's not so much a section about special needs, but there's sections like different cycles of fatherhood. So you could, like you said, you could turn you could turn to the table of contents and really, even if you look at the title, you can all, all automatically make a connection with the title. So you don't have to read the whole book. You can just pick and choose. But I wouldn't recommend it because it's an awesome book. I mean, all the stories oh, thank are. You. Thank you for saying that, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're a divorced dad and you pick that up right away, what we'll do, you'll go like, oh, there's a divorced dad story, and you read that. And that'll, that, that will want, that, after you read that story, you'll want to read the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. It's true. And here's the other thing. We need to, I love that you started Dad's Clubs because that is pretty much the epitome of the problem with dad parenting is that, there are so few ways for dads to connect in a parenting, in, in a parenting genre, you know, like you, you can oh, go golfing correct. and talk about business all day long. You can talk about sports all day long. But when it comes to parenting, it's almost become emasculating to talk about parenting as a dad. 
and you well, we're, 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 we're hearing, Yeah, we're hearing more and more about that, like you, uh, like you just said, is that uh, we have some ways emasculated men. And what's really interesting is there's a quick fix to this, and I'll give you a perfect example, and I'm trying to um, encourage the PTA to do this, is that when you have the Parent, teach, uh, parent Volunteer of the Year Award, if you look at the history of it, most of the time it's just a mom. Mm-hmm. And my gripe isn't it that it's just not a mom. My gripe is that why isn't it both parents? That's a simple fix in order to make the uh, uh, school environment father-friendly. And it also sends a great message to the kids that both parents are equally valuable. We should, be, we should have a parent of volunteer the award for both a mom and a dad. And some moms have said, well, to me, well, dads don't spend enough time at school. And my response to that is, again, look at all the barriers you're putting up. Is that, is that the same criteria you use for moms, the one that spends the most time there? And most dads are working. And so if he's taking time away from work, he's making a huge effort to participate. And not only that, uh, there are at-home dads now in the, in the communities. Uh, we should, I'm sure they're being involved. If you look at the research, there are dads clubs forming all over the United States. And uh, it's easy to pick a dad and a mom and recognize both of them. And the reason I say that is because from a personal story I had back in the 1990s, when I walked, first walked onto the elementary school, um, kids would come up to me and say, Mr. Hilling, what are you doing here? And I would turn and say, well, I'm here to help volunteer. And the, the kids would answer, well, we thought only moms were supposed to do that. Oh, my goodness. And it's so, so true. we really need to change that mindset. And the way we need to do that is start to make systematic changes. And this is just a simple fix. It's one more award you're giving out. I but love the value that. of it. And just, you know, it, it, what you're saying, too, is when you look at things like uh, the things that the PTA puts together, like if they're doing a field day or if they're doing a book fair or something like that, typically the dad in the group that's actually there on the day of the event will be the anomaly. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the people who come there to unload all of the stuff out of the cars and the trucks and um, set up all the games and build the games and doing that stuff, there the moms would be the anomaly. So I will also tell tell you that the dads can do a lot to make the systematic change, too. I mean, uh, one of the things that I say is if uh, if 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 you want a father friendly environment, act like a friendly father. And it's up to the men to start not stop being uh, submissive and saying, hey, you know what? A group of dads should walk into the principal's office and say, you know, could we talk to the PTA and say, you know, we want both a mom and dad to be recognized. So other dads have to step up and support other dads. And that's something that we can learn from other from women. Women do a great job of emotionally supporting each other when it comes to parenting. And men have not done a great job of that. And so if, if we want to see changes in the parenting world to, uh, for them to create a father-friendly environment, we need to start speaking up and letting people know what we need and what we want. For example, if we want to be involved in PTA, we just want to, we, we don't want to be told what to do and uh, where to go. We want to be able to uh, participate in events where we can uh, make decisions. And, for example, when um, I remember uh, at the school one time, there were four of us standing around helping the moms do this event, and they had a theme, and they had the centerpieces, and they had the tablecloths, and one of the guys was, like, shaking his head, and I knew exactly what he was thinking. And another guy goes, there's no way in heck these moms would ever let us make decisions on how to run this event. 
and we just kind of chuckled and we said, yeah. And then I turned to one of the dads and said, well, what you, what would you do differently? He goes, I just have pizza and I'd have juice and I wouldn't care what the theme is and I don't care if the plates match and, you know, <laughs> because for dads, they just want to interact with the kids. Sure. It's not all know, the fluff honestly, and stuff. Honestly, Hogan, you know? it, there's a secret to that. The secret is we do as moms too. Only we've made it into such a competition that we've lost the joy. And yes. I think that and, and dads I'll, could really help us to bring that back. And it's interesting you make that comment because I had mom one time say, you know what, as I watch these add-on dads and I, I watch you and I watch some of the dads in the community interacting, you guys have fun with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, because to that, to us, the kids are playthings. They're toys to us. And we love the interaction because a lot of dads spend time working. And so that amount of time that they have, their priorities are different. So their focus is going to be interaction, not if the house is clean or if um, <laughs> if, if they're dressed, or the kids are dressed correctly or if I'm dressed correctly. And that's, and that's what I'm talking about, different, not wrong. Exactly. Thank you so much. And I encourage everybody to go out and check out your book, Dad's Behaving Dadly. When we come back next week, we're going to be talking to more awesome guests. And until then, everybody, have a great week and keep playing. Parenting has to contain a hidden message or a life lesson. Sometimes it just has to pass mom's little barometer of, is this going to shut them up? Connect with Tara online at tarakennedykline.com. Until next time, remember this. Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try calling it the most